I'm Josh Sigmund, and I'm a mortgage lender. I'm also a geek for money, not just earning it and saving it, but literally everything about it. I love that money has rules. It has its truths. I love investment strategies, and I love making money work for us. For so many, money is emotional. For me, it's logical, like a puzzle. My passion is also helping others with their money. I love looking at people's finances, dissecting their puzzle, and rebuilding with strategy and purpose, and I'm really good at it. I'm making this podcast about my money strategies, not the things that are written in books or sold in programs. It's a podcast outlining the lessons I've learned and used for the past 15 years. These strategies help me and those who use them save more, give more, create wealth, and retire early. Let me teach you how to build your net worth. You ready? Welcome to Sigmund Sense. Action. Action. All right. Welcome back to Sigmund Sense. I am here with my co-host, Bryn Rouse, and uh, we're going to go into some commonly asked questions and misinformation about buying homes. Uh, mortgage processes, things that you find out. I mean, everyone's got a damn opinion these days about what you should do with your money, right? Yes. And so uh, we're going to cover lots of those questions. Um, we actually did a little Google searching ourselves just to see what, what's being said on the internet. Um, address some of them, um, some of those issues. But really, I think the starting point is, you know, people say, well, where do you start? You know, what, what, what do you have to do to buy a house? And so um, I want you to ask some questions. I'm going to bring up some of the, the things that I hear on a, on a daily basis. I'll walk through what lenders are looking for. You know, so it's always good to know if you're playing poker, what's on the other side, what, the, sure. what, the, what cards you're playing with to give you the best chance of the best situation, best loan types, best programs for you. So that's what we're going to do today. I love it. And so what I love is how is this, how this ties into budgeting mm-hmm. and all things money, because now we're actually taking a strategic way to use your money and how it looks from the lending perspective. Yep. So it's just a beautiful tie-in. Well, it's uh, it's where all this started, right? I get to look at everyone's tax returns exactly. for a living and, um, and you can see the wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And then it's amazing to me how sometimes people that make the most money can't afford a home and Isn't people that, that the do, you, do you think, you know, can't or can't afford a home are the ones that are doing quite well and are very comfortable. So yep. it absolutely all ties together. So let me just kind of start with uh, putting it out there. Uh, what it is that lenders are looking for in general, yeah. right? And, and as you know, it starts with the four C's. And so um, the first thing that you've got to look at is what's the capacity. Um, so what the does that mean? Well, what's the capacity? Yeah, capacity is basically what's the likelihood. Uh, so just it's easier to explain it if you put yourself in the shoes of the bank. So would you lend somebody money based on their ability to repay the debt or not? That's the capacity, right? That's so, capacity. Um, not an IOU uh, fifty bucks. It's IOU two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. Right. So you got to really think through what's this person's capacity. And so when you really think about capacity, this is when things we'll go into more detail about later, like debt to income ratios, housing ratios, things like that, really come in. Uh, but it's really just trying to calculate what is the cash flow, what's the budget of uh, of the person sitting in front of uh, in front of you, and so. Um, that's, that's a huge one that we have to focus on, uh, because it also goes into what should you, uh, be spending. I get questions all the time in my office. Hey, uh, I, I make X number of bucks per month. What should I be spending right. uh, on, on my housing payment? And, and so, so as far as capacity too, mm-hmm. does that play into, um, employment history oh, and yeah, status absolutely. and likelihood of keeping the job and the 
nature of the job? Um, actually, not as much. That's the second C. It's called character. Oh, okay. Um, so the income from the job, yes. But character, is what, what the, which is a second C, is what you're talking about. Uh, work history is a very good indi- indicator of character. Uh, credit scores are an indicator of character. Uh, indicators is the key word here because there are life changes, right? Sure. Like, um, you know, I'll see dozens a year where somebody's getting divorced and the jerk ex blank wife or husband decided to screw off the credit and not right. making any payments to, to significantly hurt credit scores. Well, I can look at a credit report and see that they've never missed a payment ever in the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And all of a sudden that's changed. So it's an indicator. It's not a reality always. Um, but the truth is, is that, uh, for the most part, when somebody has a history of never paying anything on time ever, right. then, um, whether it's education or not, money education is what I mean, education or not, mm-hmm. uh, reality is, is that uh, you have to take a deeper look and there's more right. risk associated with the loan if their character's not there. Job changing, job hopping, believe it or not, is not good, right? Um, Especially if it's cross industries. Yeah, and I, lo- I love that you just said that. So, uh, and actually there's probably gonna be a lot of millennials listening to this. So it's actually very common to switch jobs. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. It's if you're changing the job within the same profession or something that's linear uh, or that you can correlate, totally fine. Totally right? fine, yeah. Uh, as long as it's another full-time employment. But um, So give an example of that. So it's... I'm an IT director uh, or an IT, I'm an IT guy. I'm a computer guy. Mm-hmm. And I've got a salary of 40 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And I've been two years out of college and I get a job offer for an IT director for 60 grand a year or 80 grand a year. Yeah. Um, no problem. You can change jobs and, and qualify on that income day one uh, because of salary. Um, that changes things as well based on how you're paid. Right. Hourly, salary, commission, self-employed, things like that. But that's a character thing, uh, just like your credit is, right? So the problem mm-hmm. would be I'm an IT person today. I'm a marketing person next month mm-hmm. and a... Babysitter car, the following month. Bar- okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so like you, you have weird stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a bartender week one. Uh, week six, I'm now a uh, part-time sales guy. And then week six months, you know, I've got a new job in, in HR. Yeah. Right. So you've got uh, inconsistent job history. So you, it's, it's more difficult. And in most cases, you have the inability to qualify because of the job changes that don't correlate. A good one that, uh, you know, that we see a lot here in San Antonio that's important to understand is uh, military men and women leaving the, the military. Okay. And so does the job that they had in the military correlate with what the new job is? Well, gotcha. in a lot of cases it does. In many cases it doesn't. Okay. And so, it, you know, you might have to be on the job for shorter or longer lengths of time if that's the case, if there's not retirement in place. But a lot of people, you know, go in the military for four to eight years and they're out. So an example might be uh, you were the military police in the military. Well, guess what? You can be a security guard tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? You, you were a really great military policeman. Why It correlates. Uh, uh, hospital f- professions, right? So gotcha. you were uh, a medic <laughs> in the mm-hmm. military, and obviously, you know, if you want to be a, a nurse or an ambulance driver or whatever, like that correlates. That correlates. So it's got to have to be able to draw uh, the or, picture together. Or there wouldn't have to be a skill set that's required. Like, you know, if you're going into entry level position, anything and it's salary, you know, you can typically you make can. the, you know, um, you learn how to learn at school or in the military. You don't have to have too much right. job history in those kind of cases. But that's the the second one. The, the, the third one is the collateral itself. So uh, lending institutions are looking for... Um, not just that you qualify, but what happens if it doesn't go well and we take the house back? Okay. Right. So the the property itself, property itself. is it okay. is it worth what you're buying it for? Uh, if I did take it back as a bank, uh, what would have to be done to the property? Are mm-hmm. there 
um, conditions of the property that are unsuitable for living, which is, you know, happens. It, it does uh, happen, yeah. Um, exposed wiring, plumbing, not working, um, no guardrails, uh, yeah. no guardrails on high, you know, high fall situations mm-hmm. on, on stairways or whatever. Um, those are all things that, 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 that we'll be looking at. And also what are you paying for in the market itself and, and, and down to how close, you know, what other comps have happened around that area. And that's what appraisals get into. I was going to say, so that's a, mm-hmm. an inspection and an appraisal that will uncover yep. those things. And I, and I love that you said that in general. So most loan types, in fact, almost all loan types do not require an inspection. Okay. An inspection is typically for the borrower's benefit to know what, what kind of, you know, sore thumb they're getting. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people are willing to put some elbow grease into buying a home and they want to do that to make some money on the mm-hmm. property in theory. Um, but it's important for the homeowner to know, like, is there a, a pre-existing condition that's pretty negative that's going to impact the value or whatever. Uh, outside of, for the most part, VA loans, for the most part, not all, but for the most part, most lenders do not require any inspections specifically gotcha. unless there was, uh, unless it was required by the appraisal. Okay. okay. So the appraisal though is required by almost all institutions mm-hmm. for almost all loan types. And I say almost because there's always an exception to rule. Um, so you'll very rarely hear me say a blanket, you should blank. Mm-hmm. Um, but the appraisals are, are more about making sure that the collateral is worth the loan, right? right. So, um, most lenders lend based on the lesser, of the appraised value or the sales price. So you can overpay for it, but the lender's not going to over lend on it. Over lend on it. Sure. It's a collateral issue. I think that's important to know too, though, Mm -hmm. is that even if a home doesn't appraise Mm -hmm. for what you are paying for it, Mm -hmm. you can still, you can still pay that amount. And people often do. And people often do. And you just make up the difference with cash, right? Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you get into that, for example, like uh, a lot of people say, well, why would you ever let somebody do that? There's lots of answers. If uh, you know, if appraisals have so many rules these days, um, you know, because of government changes, really. In fact, most appraisals cannot work directly for the bank. They've got to work for third parties uh, to make sure that the bank and the appraisal are not in cahoots, like they in many cases were prior to 2008. Right. Um, the The reality is that um, I'm trying to be succinct with my thoughts that there are cases where there was a fire sale in a neighborhood. So it doesn't. So the appraisal value is lower, but it doesn't mean the house is worth really much less. Gotcha. But on paper, it is. You know, if there was a a recently sold house on your block in your neighborhood, same size and square footage that sold fifty thousand dollars below market value compared to every other comp, will it be taken into account for it? Yeah. Will it you know impact value? Yeah. Does it mean that your house is not really worth that difference? Not necessarily. Not always. Right. So timing yeah. is a big thing when it comes to appraisals is my only mm-hmm. point there. So in that case, you know, when, when you, when it, when you see that white elephant for better or worse, mm-hmm. you know, really overvalued or really undervalued in this case, there's a lot of people that will just pay the five or $10,000 difference. Right. Another reason is, is if this is your dream house and you're going to die right. here. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you look at the investment differently. Yeah. You know, um, people will pay for the view. People will pay for the location. People will pay for uh, all those things. And it happens more often right now, which is more of a, in most ca- uh, cases in the country, we're in, in a uh, buyer's market. It is shifting and it always will mm-hmm. shift. But when, when it's a, I'm sorry, it's, when it's a seller's market, I said that backwards. Yep. In a seller's market, the seller controls prices. People are fighting over the inventory because there's not enough inventory for the number of buyers out there. And so people will end up paying more than what it's worth, quote unquote. 
uh, or what the sales price is. So just because it may not make total sense to everyone, like if you want it, you want it and just, are you willing to pay for it? So I think that's, and then are you educated enough to understand what you're doing? Understand what you're doing for sure. If the market turns and goes down in value over the next five years, can you sustain that? Mm -hmm. Um, and it goes back to, if you're planning to keep this forever, it's one thing. If you're planning to be here for two years, I'd highly advise against Mm -hmm. overpaying because you might not be able to get out of it unless you're willing and able to take a loss in the property. So appraisals are not the end all be all or a dead stop on no, any it, it never transaction. is. It never is. Um, but I think a lot of people think that it is. I mean, yeah, I think appraisals yeah. have kind of a negative uh, connotation to them and it makes people very nervous or makes parties to the transaction very nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if what if it doesn't come in and is it a dead deal? Do we have to walk away altogether? Yep. And, yep. you know, I think the point is if it comes in low, we just have to adjust the plan. Yep. And once you write that down too, cause I'd love to come back to that for sure. Cause I think that's something worth diving a little deeper into later on, but just to stay on track for the fourth C, the fourth C is cap, uh, capital, right? Mm-hmm. And all the, all capital is, is, is basically your cash position. How much of your own money are, are you, are you putting into it? Right? So when you go down to decreasing risk for a lender, somebody that puts zero down into a property, which is possible in many cases, um, is more likely in theory to walk away from a house if the poop hits the fan than somebody that put 50 grand into it. They're less likely to walk away from a house. They're going to fight harder in theory. That's why the risk is lower. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the capital side. So not only do they look at capital as far as what you're putting down, but also reserves, cash reserves. Uh, again, reduction of risk is if you have the ability to pay for it in cash, but you choose not to, Mm -hmm. uh, and you can make the mortgage payments out of cash that you already have that you don't need to earn forever. Um, that reduces uh, risk and you can get loans like that. In fact, that's a, something one of the commonly asked misnomers is if you don't have a job, you can't get a home loan. It's just not true. There's, there's bank programs out there. Like you can get, yeah. you can show proof of enough assets to cover through your bank statements and cash flow and things like that, the interest earned or the ability to pay out of your assets over time. Yeah. You can get loans without a job and people don't Which realize is- that. Uh, considered a portfolio loan, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is. It's not going to be a common institutional kind of loan. But again, going back to there's so much misinformation on the internet yeah, that's just totally. so annoying to me. Um, but that goes back to why you talk to professionals, whether it's me or somebody else, doesn't matter. Make sure it's a professional you get the and information from, not the internet. And a good yeah. professional, <laughs> yeah. someone that really will know Trust what the they're doing yep. for sure. Yep, yep. So those are the four C's. I wanted to get that out of the way because again, going back to if you know and understand what the lender's looking for then you can start making adjustments to be in a better position to buy a home when you want to buy a home or to get a better rate or better loan terms in general when that time comes as well. So again, put yourself in a position of if you were the bank, would you lend to I you? I think that is such a great question. It's it's a real simple, like if you've never paid a bill in time ever and you have no money in the bank, would you lend to you? Right. Probably not. Probably right? not. But yet you see that and some people are, are like super vigorously fighting that battle. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, dude? the same thing comes up with paperwork. You know, yep. everybody knows that getting a loan these days just requires a lot of documentation. Yep. And if you think about it from the perspective of if you were going to give $250,000 to someone, would you kind of want to see mm-hmm. maybe a statement or two or at least have or, access to see the statement? Because even yeah. if it's not documentation, like you have to physically send, you know, again, let's just go back to reduction of risk. If the bank has access to review your tax returns, even if you don't provide them, but we, we can go in and, and look at your tax return transcripts online through authorizations, and we can see you really make the $100,000 a year as a family, mm-hmm. not you told us you made 100000 the right. risk is lower, you get a better rate in fees, right? Boom. Uh, and that's the case for all across the board. So let me summarize, let me summarize with all four one more time. Okay. So um, when it goes to the collateral, 
Is it a liking kind property that's worth what you're buying it for and it's got other pure comps and it doesn't have a lot of uh, damage or destruction or needs around it so that the bank could unload it quickly if they need to? That's a reduction of risk, right? Okay. So if you're trying to buy a, a fixer-upper or that there's exposed issues, it's going to be a higher risk and typically will we'll have more challenges, more challenges, right? Uh, the second one was going to be the capacity. The capa- capacity goes back to do you can you show proof, not tell me proof, show proof show of your me. ability to repay the loan? Um, and that goes into debt ratios and income and, and cash flow in general. That's the, the second one. The, um, the third one is the character, mm-hmm. right? So in the character side of things, uh, when, you, when you go back and look at it, does your past history of employment and credit line up with the likelihood of you to repay the debt mm-hmm. based on past hif- history and performance? based on your uh, consistency of behavior, right? Um, and the last one is the, um, uh, I'm going backwards in my head. Um, so we talked about character, capacity, oh, capital. Is capital the was the last one which we yeah. just covered, which is how much of your own money are you putting in right. the property? Yep. Love so it. So that, that's that. Let's move on. Okay. So, um, you know, as we were talking to people um, and then in asking questions about what they, what questions do you have about, purchasing a home mm-hmm. and or what information do you think is true mm-hmm. about purchasing a home when mm-hmm. it comes to getting a mortgage, you know, and then the things that we hear in the office all the time, we kind of compiled a list. So I'm just going to start with, um, here's what I, it, it's all starts with credit. In my opinion, it's kind of the first place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first thing we will do as mortgage lenders is, mm-hmm. you know, run credit among other things, but starting with the credit. So mm-hmm. what's the deal with the credit scores? Yeah. What does it have to be? What's, yeah, you know, that's a, that's actually very commonly asked. So I think it actually starts with how soon should you pull credit? If you're thinking about buying a house, that is also um, very true. And so, uh, the answer is if you think you're buying a house, if it's imminent within a year, pull, get your credit pulled by a professional. Uh, and the reason is it kind of goes into your second follow-up question, which is, you know, what is, what it's being looked at? Well, credit score by itself is really a starting point. Um, there's lots of different loan types for sure. There's lots of different um, down payments for sure. But in general, a 740 credit score and above is ideal. Okay. It doesn't mean that's what you need. It's what's ideal. Ideal. So Considered uh, excellent, right? It's, it's considered excellent. So yeah. whether you have a 741 or an 802, more than likely you're for sure going to get the best rates and fees uh, based on the program type that you're doing. Okay. Um, from uh, For government loans, which are typically going to be a FHA loan, a USDA loan, a uh, VA loan, mm-hmm. there's fewer impacts to credit um, that will hit your interest rates, okay? Meaning that uh, typically by lender, it, you might have a 580, 620, 640, then jumps up to 680. Anything over 680 is the best, right? Okay. Um, whereas on a conventional loan, every 20-point increment matters. Ah. So under 740, every single 20-point increment that it's lower you'd have a little bit higher rate and fees. Okay. okay. So as far as how it impacts you and why I say by, if you're, if it's imminent that you're going to buy or refinance, get it pulled. At least if, if you, if you're off and you're surprised that there was this random $72 collection that popped up three months ago that you've paid all your bills always, but I see this all the time, like all perfect time. credit, except they show up in their 620 and it's because of something they didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. At least we have time to fix it. So it doesn't have a long lasting way more than $72 impact on the mortgage. For right? sure. Um, so that's the a piece of it. The second thing that you're looking at on credit is it's at least a starting point for the assimilation of the debts out there. Okay. Um, so when it comes to debts in general, 
um, the minimum payment is what's used against buyers. It's the limiting factor yes. as far as what you can buy. And so there, there are other debts that don't show up on credit, but it's a great starting point. You know, typically anyone's house uh, payment, their car payments, student loan payments, minimum payments on credit cards. Those are all uh, on the Those are all going to be on credit for the most and part. And the only thing that's calculated, mm-hmm. again, because you kind of, you said it quickly, but I think it's, it's so important, is the minimum payment the minimum payment, due. Yep. That's yep. what's calculated. Not the full balance of the credit card. No. Not the full balance nope. of the of the car. Which goes back into why budgeting is so important. It's just right. understanding that, right? I love that you brought that up. Um, the only thing that's typically not going to be on credit as far as outstanding payments is going to be things like alimony or child support. Um, Utilities. You know, well, utilities don't come into factoring for most loans, except for a VA loan, which there's a, a special per square footage calculation. Most loans don't require looking at utilities, but you're right. That's not going to be on credit. But it's not going to be on a credit report. Yes. So even if, and the reason I bring that oh, up I, is because- I love that. For budgeting purposes. For, yep. Yeah. And a lot of people too, um, maybe they don't have any mm-hmm. real lines of credit, but they've always paid their bills on time. Mm-hmm. Like they have a rent payment. Mm-hmm. They have you know, their, their electricity bill, mm-hmm. their phone bill, but none of those will, will be um, involved in creating a score. Unless they of, don't pay it. <laughs> unless they don't pay it, yeah. And then all of a sudden there's a negative impact on yeah. something that's owed, yeah, collections or otherwise. Um, and so, you know, other things that do show up on credit is this is where the things come back to haunt you that you, you said you swore off and thought it's been too long and you don't have to worry about it anymore, but uh, judgments um, come up. Uh, and what's tax a judge, liens. what is a judgment? Judgments might be you lost a, in a court of law, you lost, uh, you lost a case against somebody that you owe them five grand. Mm. And even though you don't think that you should pay this person because this person wasn't right, if there's a judgment levied against you, like you're going to pay that before you can get a mortgage. Right? And so what will that do um, to your credit score? Uh, the, the distance from the last, uh, from, from that being filed, at least, uh, your credit scores can be, you know, regained instantaneously. It goes down tremendously. So it's a uh, huge hit in the beginning. Huge hit, and then it slowly works its way back. Oh, okay. uh, kind of the same thing like tax liens. Like, guess what? You can't buy houses if you got a tax lien. You got to pay the, you got to pay the man first. Gotcha. Um, so that's going to show up. Um, bankruptcies show up, you know, uh, there's lots of different types of bankruptcies, you know, between mm-hmm. the sevens and the thirteens and so on. But, um, and, and lending different lenders, different loan types, you can still buy within a year or it might take you four years. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that varies, uh, but that does show up on your credit. And so it's going to address, you know, that's how we'll find out about an alimony or child support sometimes or that, because uh, um, divorce decrees are also public record. People don't realize that. Right. It's not going to show up on the credit report, but it's the questions that will come up. Mm-hmm. So all that uh, from a credit, you know, you know, when do you pull? Why do you pull? What's being looked, looked at? It's to compile at least a list of, okay, uh, what do you currently pay? Mm-hmm. And are you paying them? And does your history say differently? Because again, it, we got to make a lending decision. Like, would you lend to you? Sure. Um, on that minimum payment too, this is where we can start talking about... Um, this ties to the income side as well, but the debt to income ratio, the debt part primarily comes from credit. It comes from credit, yeah. And then the new mortgage on top mm-hmm. of that, right? So that's going to come into that debt part of the debt to income ratio, um, which we want to keep as low as possible. The The yeah. maximum debt to income ratio for most lenders, um, somewhere around 50%. Uh, there's For better loan types and, and interest rates, it's typically 45 is what you'll hear a lot of on the on the internet. Um, but literally I've seen people qualify for up to 64, 65% debt to income ratios, wow. which is kind of crazy, but it can happen in certain cases. 
Um, That's typically with really good credit. There's got to be other compensating factors for sure. There's going to be lots of reserves, really great credit, stable, stable, stable income, probably a government loan for sure. Okay. Uh, I think that was a VA loan off my recollection. Yeah. Um, But there's there's definitely other compensating factors of why this is allowed. Mm Mm-hmm. Because banks don't want to foreclose. They, they don't. Sure. No, for That's, sure. Right. Um, so what is the biggest reason you hear about why somebody wouldn't want to get their credit pulled. Oh, great question. Uh, because it's going to drop your credit score. Yeah. I mean, that's going to that's going to be the answer always. Um, one thing that people don't realize is that uh, the credit agencies do expect you to shop around for mortgages, as an example. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if you are pulling your credit multiple times over a prolonged period of time, it's going to impact your credit Meaning for sure. I pull it today, and then I pull it again, and a maybe a week, yep. and then again in thirty-five yep. days. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, so it's a hard hit. Yep. Every single one of those. With different institutions, yep. Okay. Uh, but a general rule of thumb for people to know is that you can typically pull your credit score up to three times within 30 days that are specific mortgage pulls with very little to no impact. Um, now, if you've got a 780, 800 credit score, it might literally be a point to five. Like it's right. very, very little, which again, 740 above is all the same. So you don't worry about it. And that's another huge question is what is what what is the impact of, yeah. uh, of a hard pull or whatever? Yeah. It's points like yep. a few points here yep. and there yeah. now if you're constantly pulling credit because you're opening credit cards and you're and you're you're shopping for christmas and you want to get a uh, cabela's credit card and and then you go to victoria's secret and get a victoria's secret credit card and you do all these things and you're buying mortgages people think well the mortgage pool was the reason why credit scores went down no the credit agencies recognize you're about to take on additional debt mm. um so so if there's not a clean answer but should you do it? Yes. Should you pull credit early? Yes. Is it okay to pull it with two or three different companies? Yes. Yeah. Um, and this also might be why you might pull credit with somebody that has the options to use multiple lenders instead of just one retail space. Ah. Because if they can shop multiple lenders, you don't have to pull credit all those. That one spot can pull all of them. Love that. Um, so th- that's the general answer around credit. What other questions came up? If, so if any past about that? credit, um, talk about the budget. Like... You know, I, I feel like people always, always want to know, like, how much can I afford? And then past, 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 okay, you can't afford this. Is that really what I should be doing yeah, anyway? That's a great, I get asked that twice a week. Okay. So what you're talking about, again, go, is cleaning up and finishing this uh, debt to income ratio and housing ratio. That's what really you're getting at. And so, um, okay, if you Google what should be my ideal housing ratio, what you'll see for the most part is 25% or less is what's considered ideal. Mm-hmm. It's not what's required. It's not the max. And what a housing ratio, just for if you're not familiar with the term, is housing ratio is defined as what is your uh, new housing payment divided by your income, right? So Mortgage what portion, only. Yeah, what, what portion of your, of your monthly income is going towards your housing payment? Housing ratio. Um, I think that that is less important than your debt-to-income ratio, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I would say that it's okay and healthy to have a housing ratio up to maybe 30% or 33%. Um, it depends on where you are in your stage of life, right? Like just to be honest, people that are starting out, um, with a new home and a new income and, and they've got lower end salaries, uh, but they want to be a homeowner and own America, which I am a big proponent proponent of Mm -hmm. buy it before China does. Um, and I'm sincere about that. The, the, the reality is that uh, just the math works that in your area, it might be cheaper to buy than it is to rent. Yes. And, but it still is costly from a debt ratio perspective. So as long as you don't have lots of other debts, then it's totally okay to be 33 or 35%. Okay. Um, the debt ratio I keep alluding to is more important because the debt ratio is 
what is the total of all debts Mm -hmm. divided by your income, right? So not only the new housing payment, but also everything we discussed on or off credit, car loans, student loans, credit cards, child support, alimony uh, support, um, anything that's a fixed required minimum payment would be part of your debt to income ratio, okay? Uh, Now, I do personally believe that a 42, 41% debt to income ratio or below is what's considered good. Because then you're still going to have cost of living. So your utilities and your yeah. bills and-, and taxes and savings and all those other things we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you just can't do that when you've got a 50% or 60% debt to income ratio. So the bank, right. so, so the banks, the lenders, it's a way of protecting yeah. the yeah. consumer. Yeah, it is. And you also have to remember, like the reason why I'm not being crystal clear about a number is people don't fully understand. Um, uh, there is no clean answer. Like this day and age, people have side gigs. Mm-hmm. Guess what's not going to qualify for income? Ever, right. It's ever. not in there. There's going to be some side gig where somebody's making freaking uh, baskets on the side right. or they're selling um, baseball cards on the side, but it's a good living and they're getting an extra 500, 1,000 bucks a month just in this extra cash income that, that doesn't qualify for qualifying purposes, which now as a lender, I understand, okay, this, this, is, this is what I talked about, a compensating factor mm-hmm. where if there's a way to make it work, and we and and uh, the automated underwritings let it go through. I'm not going to talk somebody out of a 45 or 50 percent debt ratio. That's the kind of example of it's not clean. But if it's a pure salary income, mm-hmm. nothing else outside nothing of else. it, I think it's got to be low 40s or below. Total debt ratio would be something that you can still eat, drink, be merry, have fun, and safe. Yeah. Right. Um, once you start getting to 45, you're going to feel it. At 50, mm-hmm. you have very few choices. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of that threshold. Um, but that's the total debt ratio, and not there's the housing a, ratio. And there's a hard stop. I mean, yep. well, a, like when when we're running the loans through our automated systems, yeah, depending on that's loan determined type. by, and for most part, it's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right? So Freddie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the secondary entities that end up uh, insuring, buying, you know, all the mortgages. They've created a standardized uh, underwriting kind of system. Mm-hmm. So they've determined certain debt ratios and thresholds based on everything, income, assets, and credit to kill a deal or not. So mm-hmm. sometimes they'll say you don't qualify with a 38% debt ratio um, because your credit's so bad. And other times, like I said, you might get a, away with a 55 debt ratio because there's so much other good so stuff there yeah. because it's going to take into account the reserves. It's going to take into account the history of jobs, the, taking the credit, the credit as a whole mm-hmm. into that automated uh, uh, risk-based pricing and also the um, risk profile of the client, right? Right. So just remember this is why it's important to talk to somebody that understands yes. budgeting and ask questions around the budgeting. Because if you get into that kind of conversation, then you have a better chance of a positive outcome. Yeah. Uh, I do like the idea of asking questions in general. So sure, Google the internet, right? Um, but what, what's funny is we found a few things on there that's like, why would they make that blanket statement? That's just wrong. Just wrong. You know, it's just, just, it's, just it's to sell books or whatever, but it's just a, a wrong statement. So we'll get into those in a little bit. Well, any other questions about credit? Not, well, not credit and or budgeting. So I think, you know, as far as whenever you are starting the process and, you know, you're finally talking to a lender it's again, going back to the credibility of, of who you're talking to, because there's also a difference between, um, verbal information given versus actually like showing proof in documentation and things like that. And there's a lot of, um, there can be a lot of struggle that comes with wanting to provide stuff like that, especially if it's, we don't have a house picked out, we haven't started looking and really 
uncovering all of the information as early as possible is so big in this entire process because there are so many lenders out there that are not, they're not great at what they're doing and they're missing bankruptcies on, on credit reports. They're not asking for documentation. And then when we finally, when they find a house and we ask for, or they get documentation and they're finding things that are going to prevent them from either qualifying at all or qualifying for the house that they picked out. Yep. And it's, me, it's hurtful. Yeah. And there's also another thing here, like <laughs> for some reason, okay, I'll give you an example. So uh, unfortunately my daughter uh, got pneumonia, like actually today I, she, we found out she had pneumonia. Okay. Uh, it's because I told the doctor about all the symptoms, not what I wanted to tell her that ah. she was actually unco- uh, able to uncover it. And so one thing that this all comes into is a lot of times when people are buying houses, they don't want to provide the documentation. They don't want to dig it up. They don't feel like they should have to because it's freaking private mm-hmm. in their opinion. And this is the same, like you can't get good advice unless all the details are provided. All the cards are on so the that, table. So that you can see the whole picture. So And oh, by the, the way, gonna we're going to find it anyway. So yeah, let's just go through it. Most of the auditing process, we're going to find it out anyways down the road. But if, 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 you, if you're right and you get lucky and we don't find it, it doesn't mean that you were given the best recommendation and the yeah. best advice. And yeah. so... Like literally we went to a doctor five days ago, six days ago, and they diagnosed her incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Like I wish that the doctor died. So I just went back for a second opinion with a different doctor and like, no, let's do a chest x-ray. Like, oh, look, it's pneumonia. Oh, look, yeah. Uh, by the way, what we've been treating her with hasn't worked at all because the wrong medicine, wrong this medicine. medicine, like, so it's the, when you go into providing all the docs, yes, it's the pain in the butt, but it's for your best interest. It's for your best it's interest. Like if you get denied from a loan, it's actually in a lot of cases, not all, in your best interest, yeah. right? Um, I think ego comes into play too, oh, and, well, no and, one, and it's pride. We don't like being told no ever. Like, yeah. let's be clear. It's a, it's a going back to we don't like deferred gratification. Um, we we want immediate gratification. Most people don't like being told no. So, and then you get into the borderline of you hide information. Well, at what point is it mortgage fraud? Which people don't think about that. But I hope if you're hearing this line clear, I'll tell you a crazy story about that. Um, so going into the tr- transition, uh, military local guy was leaving the military. He was a full burn, full burn colonel. And he was getting a, he wanted to buy a VA loan. But he's in this weird transition. It's a weird thing with the military. But when you leave the military, you don't get your retirement income until a certain time. You don't know when you're going to get disabled, if you're going to get a disability rating until after you're out. So there's this period where I know you're going to get an income. You've been right. 25 years in the military. You're sure. going to be retired. And I actually can calculate pretty close what your retirement is going to be. Gonna be yeah. But you don't have it yet. You can't prove it yet. So you don't qualify yet. Unless you lie to me. Oh. Right? And so um, this specific gentleman created his own salary income job company, provided W-2s, paychecks, and bank statements Whoa. because he was really creative and <laughs> smart. I mean, he's a full bird colonel <laughs> in the intelligence side of the and, military. Um, what's the word? Like... Like, and going to serve retirement in prison if he, I had let him close and we, I caught and him. And initiate, like he's got an initiative. initiative right? Like <laughs> use that for good, not for evil, man. Um, but <laughs> you, like, uh, 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 you know, my, my mom and dad used to say lies of omission are so a lie. Yeah. So not telling yeah. the lender is not yeah. an option either. Um, but we try to make it easy yeah. and we try to cut corners and this just not the, the time and place it's to do it. It just really isn't. It's yep. not. Okay. Um, da, 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 da. Where do I want to take this? Mm. Let's talk about... And if you're listening to this, sir, I didn't name your name. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well done. Well done. Um, let's see. Let's talk about closing costs. So yep. I think this is missed. Um, 
This is messed. Oh, what's it going to cost me? Okay, that's good. What enough. is it going to cost me? But yeah. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's missed. So talk us through what's the typical closing yeah, so costs. I think this is a combination. It's really cash at closing. So let's talk about it all. Let's talk about down payment and closing costs because it comes in the same number. Like at the end of the day, I think most Americans really care about three things only. They care about, do I qualify? Yes or no. What's the payment going to be for the next 15 to 30 years and how much cash does it bring at closing? And I would argue that those are the only questions that really matter in the big scheme of thing. The rest are yeah. details. It's good to understand them. Uh, and that's what you're asking. So um, there is about a bucket load of stuff on the internet that says you must put 20% down or you should only buy a house if you buy it in cash. Or if you don't put down 25%, you're making a mistake. And crazy. that's it's just crazy. not accurate. Um, it's a, such a blanket statement. In fact, I think that 25% was... Dave Ramsey himself, wasn't and the, it? And the 100% cash if you can. Yeah. Um, what do you... T- let's talk I'm, about I'm, that. Yeah, so I'm ready to hear because, your opinion on that. Yeah, because uh, for the record, like I think Dave, Dave Ramsey's done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff for a lot of yeah. good people. But you got to remember when you're when you're making a statement, it's for the masses that you're selling to, mm-hmm. the books, the radio show and all that. And it's not applicable to everybody. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I talk to people that are the 1% or 5% that it doesn't, it's not applicable to. Um, so talking about down payment, yes, it's true. It would be better if you could pay, pay for your house in cash, as long as it wasn't at the expense of your retirement, as an example, yes. right? Like I always tell people, you can borrow for a house, you can't borrow for retirement. So it's one thing if you don't put your money into the house and then you screw off your money. That's not what we're talking about here. But if we didn't put the money into the house and we put that money working for us because I'm only 25 or 30, put it to work for us for the next 30 years, your net worth will simply be higher in theory over time because you invested the money. You didn't just have a free and clear house. Let me explain that. Yeah, so explain. yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do some, what I think is basic math. So slow me down and ask questions. I will be the slow down. What he thinks yeah. is basic is like yeah, pre so, calc or AP calculus for <laughs> others. So. I think for the viewers, so this is the easiest example or, or the, the, the I'll dumb it down the best I can, but this is the way you look at it. Let's say I have $100,000 cash. And God knows it's hard to buy houses for 100000 anymore, but let's just use that for easy numbers, okay? So you've got $100,000 cash, and I find a house. So clearly, I could buy the house in cash. So uh, option one is I buy it in cash, so I don't have a mortgage payment. But I do have what? I have taxes. I do have insurance. Right. I do have upkeep. I've got other, other stuff. So there's still costs associated with buying the house. And let's just say that over the course of five years that that $100,000 house turns into $110,000 value. I think it's reasonable. It's not always that property values go up, but if you look at a 100-year period of time, uh, most people tell you it's about 3% rate of return over the 100 years. Um, some years less or more than others, so don't take that to the bank. Yeah. Um, but $110,000, let's just assume that's the case in, in five years. Okay. Um, at the end of five years, you sell your house. Great. You got your $100,000 back plus 10. Plus means 10. you got a $10,000 Return on investment, that's 10%. You divide that by five years, you made 2% per annum. Okay, right? I followed. Good. That was good. So it's just $10,000 <laughs> of 100,000 is 10%, divided by the number of years, five years. So 10 divided by five is two. It's a 2% rate of return, cash on cash return on investment. Okay. Okay. So let me take the second option and say, well, I'm only going to put down 10%. Because by the way, there are loans that you can do zero down, 3% down, right. 5% down. There are loans you can do 5% down without mortgage insurance, which is something we'll get into Ooh, later. We'll get in that. Um, but all this misinformation is what screws people up. But let's just say that we chose an option that is 10% down. So now at the end of five years, presumably the house is still worth the same 110. Regardless of your down payment, the house still is the same value. Mm-hmm. So my 10,000 uh, yielded me 10,000. So I had a 100% rate of return divided by five years, right? So I made 20% on my money per year in that analogy. Boom. 
Okay. Wow. Now okay. the the naysayers are going to argue. Well, you had carrying costs, yes, uh, and um, and it's not that clean because you have closing costs when you sell. Yep, you had yep. closing costs when you sold in cash too. Mm-hmm. But what they're not taking into account is what do you do with the other 90000 that right. you didn't put in the market? Mm-hmm. Sorry, that you didn't put in the house. Sure. So if I invest the other 90000 and again, I'm not a stockbroker. I'm not telling you where to put it or what to do. But let's just assume that you can, like rates are at historic lows right now. They're in the threes and fours, period, bar none, unless you're portfolio or, or high credit risk, right? And, yeah. But they're threes and fours. So if I took this 90,000 bucks and I got it working for me with a qualified financial planner that got a rate of return over time of 5% or 6%, which is very achievable over the long term, okay, even conservatively, 4 to 5%. It's more than three. More okay? than three. My point then is that uh, your net worth over time is higher while you're building wealth by having a mortgage. Hard to argue. It's the, it's it's the math of it. The math of it, it's yeah. The math of it. So... The argument is, well, okay, I hear you, Josh. When should I have zero mortgage? And the answer is, is that if you can have your house paid off in retirement, right? Because we want the fewest expenses possible in retirement. And as long as by having that paid off, we still have a lot of cash cushion still working for me or at least somewhere. Basically not using Every not dollar losing you everything. Have. Yeah, which I've seen people try to do that. It's like, what are you doing? You what think you? you're not going to get sick and you're old? Like, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Um, if then, if if you have the extra cash and you have the lowest income now because you went into retirement and you have excess cash, mm-hmm. then yes, I would totally agree to do that. But then again, if you, even if you only had a little bit of cash, there's something called a reverse mortgage. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, uh, again, talk to a qualified person, make sure it's situationally right for you. But you can get paid, like reverse mortgages, you get paid out of your equity until you die. The bank gets the gets your house or you get your, your uh, um, people that are going to inherit your house take over that higher mortgage debt. But there's a way to actually get income flow from your house when you're retired. So there's other options than just pay it wow. off in cash all yeah. the time. And I think that's what people always hear. So I always hear, I got to put 20% down. No, you don't. Uh, should you put down 20%? Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> Let's yeah. take a look at everything first. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and then what are closing costs is the last piece. So let's talk about closing costs. They are higher on investment properties than on primaries. So if you're buying an investment property, they're usually a percent higher usually. But on average, if you were to say just a blanket average, 3% of whatever the property sales price is, is usually about what the closing costs are. Yeah. Uh, the reason why it's not an exact number as well is that as a percentage, the higher the sales price, the lower the closing costs are as a percentage. And the reason is that there's a lot of fixed costs, like there's going to be an attorney fees to drop the note, the deed of trust, right? The attorney's fees might be 150 to 250 bucks on average, no matter what bank, no matter what part of the country it is. So 250 bucks on a hundred thousand dollar house as a percentage is a higher cost than 250 bucks on a million dollar house, right? Right. So it's not going to change that, that specific cost. Uh, uh, Appraisal fees change very, very minorly based on sales price differences. Um, you look at uh, processing, underwriting, title fees, third-party fees, surveys. They're about the same regardless of they the sales. Yeah. So 3% is a good number if you're using the median sales price range for your area. But if it's higher or lower than that median sales price, then it's going to be slightly off. Um, a, a basic statement would be bank fees as a whole on average nationwide are about 1300 bucks. About $1,300. Okay. Uh, but separate of that, you've got lots of third-party fees. And mm-hmm. third-party fees are actually the majority of the closing costs. 
And that's going to be things like um, appraisals, attorney fees, uh, title fees for most mm-hmm. states, title insurance, recording, the, fees. Uh, recording fees at the courthouse, right? Surveys, um, inspections are going to be part of that. Then you also look at uh, prepaids and reserve items. And all this is, yeah. is you have to prepay your first year of insurance and you have to, most people would choose to set up an escrow account to pay tax and insurance over time so they don't have to write a big check at the end of the year. Right. That's optional with 20% down, by the way. But um, but bottom line is that it all comes out to about 3%. And so the last piece of the puzzle, though, is that, oh my God, I can't buy a house. I don't have 3% of 250. I don't have 7,500 bucks. Cool. It doesn't mean that just because the closing costs are there that you have to pay them either because it's negotiable who pays closing costs. Right. And so people forget. Now, now mind you, if it's a really tight environment uh, housing-wise, it's a seller's market, Every house getting multiple offers uh, in, within one day on the market, you're probably not going to get the seller to pay your closing costs. But unless if you're you go picky, over, unless you go over asking, you go maybe. over asking and appraises possibly. Yep, that's a good point. Um, but the bottom line is that uh, whether it's a uh, a new home, lots of new home builders have incentives to pay closing costs, or uh, or just negotiate with a seller that's been on the market for 30 days or 60 days uh, to pay closing costs. Um, like I'm buying a property down at the coast right now and I'm not paying any closing costs. I can, but I'm not because I negotiate. I'd rather have the it. seller pay the closing costs. Yeah. Because um, I think it comes down to the bottom line yeah, well, of cash out of pocket. And payment. So here's what's beautiful and about payment. it. So let's say that you did agree to, because presumably, here's the easiest way to explain it. You find a $200,000 property. A buyer doesn't really want to pay full price. The seller right. doesn't always expect to really get full price. Absolutely. So understand that it's a, it's a negotiable expectation thing. So let's just say that said property, the seller would be willing to let it go for one ninety five. They're not going to tell you that, but it's listed for two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So the buyer has two choices: they could either um, negotiate, 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 and get the lowest price possible, one ninety five, and pay their own closing costs, or they could give them two hundred thousand, have the seller pay five thousand in closing costs. And here's the beautiful thing about when rates are this low: for every thousand you finance, is about four bucks a month. It's a That's twenty. It's a twenty dollar <laughs> payment difference. So give them their if you're tight on funds. Yeah. Give them the sales price they want as long as it appraises, right? And have them pay the closing costs for you. And so now you're in for just your down payment. And the down payment for a veteran might be zero. For a USDA loan is zero. It might be three percent down for a conventional loan. It might be three and a half percent down for an FHA loan. All these there's lots of programs out there to get in for zero to nothing down. Yeah. And that's if you don't qualify for down payment assistance in the first place. So we've got buyers today, these days, that are buying houses with nothing out of pocket, zero. Um, I think that, because we've seen people, we've seen deals blow up over a thousand, two thousand dollars and it's like, crazy. it's crazy it's four because in the grand scheme of things, yes, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars is a lot of money. No, no mm-hmm. question about it. But in the grand scheme of things, when you're buying a house, yep. one to $2,000 is certainly not losing. It's not worth losing well, the house over. I love that you said that. And, and I want to just put this in perspective, right? So let's just go back to, let's assume that your house can actually appraise or appreciate by 3% a year. Okay. Yeah. So let's say that you overpaid a thousand bucks on a $200,000 property in one year, it's worth 6,000 more. There you go. So Done. I'm just saying like in, yeah, that's, that's, it's in such a, one year it's worth. So if you're going to buy, keep this house for a couple of years, five years, 10 years, which is the standard answer is five to seven years is what the standard answer is. Don't sweat it. Then oh, thousand the to thousand. It doesn't like, of course you want the, the best deal for you and your family, Absolutely. but it's harder to find the right house than it is to get the perfect financial situation. Right. And I think if you're clear about what your numbers are, mm-hmm. if you're a buyer Remove and a seller, yep. like, for me, I just, if, as long as 
my payment is in line and the amount of money I'm going to bring to the closing table yep. as a buyer, if those are in line, close my eyes. I don't want to see the line items because to me, it, it's all, it all fits in the right, it, it's in the right area. Yep. As a seller, what do I need to net? Mm-hmm. As long as I'm there, the details let the it details. ride, yep. let it ride because yep. I've just seen too many great deals blow up over it. And it's yep. just, it's just crazy. Yeah. And, and I, I think I also, you know, the other piece is I think that the internet in a lot of cases disheartens people. They think that they'll never be able to own a home because they'll never be able to save up 20%. Right. Right. Uh, but what's interesting to me is like, where's the wealth of America? In real estate and 401ks. Real estate and 401ks. Yeah. And, and why is that? Because for savings, because a portion of your payment, as long as you're not doing an interest only loan, which for the, for the most part are pretty much the way of the dodo bird these days, which is great. Then a portion of every payment is going towards, you know, debt reduction, mm-hmm. which is building equity. In an appreciating asset, not right. a depreciating asset. An appreciating so asset, yeah. over time, real estate tends to appreciate. Um, there's always the exception. Somebody's going to type me and say, I lost a lot of money. Well, okay, did you sell in the worst market ever in 2008? Right. Um, did you buy a white elephant? Like some people will go build a million dollar house in the sticks because they want their view of nothing, right, of trees, which sounds really good to me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But if there's no other million dollar houses around you yeah. in the sticks, like you're not going to get your million dollars out of that property most likely, right? So there's always the exception of uh, overbuilding, right? Because everyone watches HGTV and they think they're going to make a million dollars in real estate. So <laughs> they take a cookie cutter house from yeah. one of the big five uh, production builders and then they completely deck it out with marble and steam rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. And they wonder why they can't sell what they with what they put into it, right? Yeah. So yes, there's exceptions. But for the most part, properties are like, here's the, the, what I know to be true. There's a lot of people moving in the United States and a lot of us in the United States are having babies. And all those people have to stay in a rental property or they're gonna have to stay in a home. Yeah. So over time, they're not making any more dirt. Um, you know, uh, good r- uh, real estate is a great part of a portfolio in general, in my professional opinion. Um, I buy a lot of it for that reason. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, not for everybody, but it's a good place for a lot of people. And going back to paying cash, if you, if the majority of your money is tied up in your home mm-hmm. and you need it, well, there's only one way to get it, right? You got to yeah. sell it. Well, that or take you do a cash out refinance. That's or right. Cash out. Which is, but by the way, it's difficult. Like when people need money, like there's a big, there's a big differentiator. Yeah. When people need money out of their property, right? Um, it's usually a worst case scenario. Not always. Yeah. It's usually worst case, which means a lot of times people lost a job oh, and now they need cat. Right. So that, now, you don't, you, now you can't qualify for it. Right mm-hmm. now. And you can only take out 80% of in, not in all States, but in Texas okay. for sure. Okay. Yep. So let's talk about that for a second. Cause uh, one question I know that's down the list a little bit that was asked was, you know, why do people refinance? What could you re- what, like, what are the reasons to do it? What would you be looking for? Why might you do it? By when can you do it? So let me just stress mm-hmm. all that, okay? Um, standard answer is you can refinance pretty much whenever you want to after you buy a property, as long as there's equity in it and you qualify for the new program. I think we had um, someone refinance within six months of, or yep. six, eight months. Like I was shocked. All the time, all the time. Um, and, the, and it depends on the scenarios, but there's really three, four, four reasons why somebody would refinance in the first place. So you, you want to make sure that you, one of those applies first, right? First one is truly to reduce payment. That's probably the most common reason. Um, the reduction of payment would be on the same. All right. So there's really four reasons why people refinance in the first place, right? So you got to take that into consideration first. You know, the first one would be uh, rate term refinance. And all a rate term refinance is, you know, literally decreasing the payment. So I'm either going to um, shorten the or decrease the interest rate and, mm-hmm. and do the payment or 
uh, the, it's called a rate term refinance because you might shorten the term the of the term. loan. So that's the second reason would be to cut off life of loan. Mm-hmm. So some people might set up a 30 year mortgage up front because maybe they, maybe they are still selling a property. They didn't need to sell the old property to qualify for the new one. So they bought the new home. They wanted the lowest fixed payment possible when they were when transitioning, right? Cause they're the most exposed with two mortgage payments, but they know at some point in the near future, they're going to sell their other house. So now they have an extra hundred grand to apply towards uh, a reduction of the loan amount. And they want to tr- uh, change it from a 30 year note to a 15 year note. Cause that's more in line yeah. with their goals. So that would be the, the rate for payment, the term for uh, pay off of the loan. Right. Uh, the next one is cash out and cash out. It happens quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a cash out loan, um, what you're trying to do is you, you should have a good use for the money. So don't take it right. out to buy a car. Right. You don't want to take, you know, in, in theory, but uh, a lot of people take cash out for, for debt consolidation. Uh, a lot of people take cash out for a rehabilitation of a property. Yeah, to invest uh, back in invest the Invest back, back in the property home. or some mm-hmm. combination. Um, to ultimately get more value yeah, out of it when you go to sell it. Right, right, right for sure. So, and again, you got, you got to be really careful about it, not over improve a property. And certainly, you know, you've got to change the behavior. There's a reason why people use cash to pay off their debts. If you don't change yeah. the behavior, you're going to go right back into debt. And that's not a good thing, right? Without so, a so, lot left in your, well, I mean, there's still some left in your house, but. Right. <laughs> well, not just the house. I'm talking about, you know, take the more, take the money out of your, uh, have a higher mortgage payment, higher mortgage payoff, pay off all your credit cards and student loans and all that stuff mm-hmm. because you're trying to get back, uh, you know, your feet underneath you, which is great. But if you don't change the behaviors that got you in that debt situation in the first place, then you're stealing from your equity and you still don't do anything better, right? Gotcha. Um, but, but it is a good you know, start point for a lot of people of, I just want to get back to ground zero, and, uh, yeah, get and rid it, of all this other stuff. And I'll take advantage of 11 years in a row of appreciation in America. Yeah. Uh, and so scrape some equity and, and pay off some debts or improve properties or get a pool with it or something like that. Like that happens. Um, the last reason why people tend to refinance is to get rid of mortgage insurance. And so a lot of people start off a loan with mortgage insurance. Let's dive into that subject for a second. Yeah, let's do There's people, so much. Yeah, people don't understand like, like there's three types of quote unquote mortgage insurance that you might hear of. Okay. Um, some people think it's literally the insurance for the property. That's not. It's hazard insurance. So hazard insurance insures the property and then it burns down. Uh, you got to rebuild the collateral. So hazard insurance okay. is about protecting the property collateral itself. Right. The second type of which is the real mortgage insurance is mortgage insurance insures a lender against your foreclosure. So if you go back, you know, 50 years, whatever, maybe you had to put down 20% to buy a house. That's probably where the, you have to put down 20% to buy yeah. comes from. Well, mortgage insurance came along and what mortgage insurance does is it allows buyers to buy with less than 20% down. There is higher risk to the bank because if they, if you did foreclose, best laid plans don't always work out, right? So if you did foreclose, the bank has to hire attorneys. They've got to go through a foreclosure process. They've got to hire real estate uh, uh, agent, there's going to be closing costs to sell it or possibly repair the property sure. for condition. Um, and so they didn't really expect to get out a full 20% if you do zero down or 5% down. Mm-hmm. So the mortgage insurance is a good thing from a standpoint of it. It protects the uh, bank and allows people the American dream with less money out of pocket, but it's expensive. It protects the bank. It doesn't protect you. And so I, ideally, whether upfront or down the road, you want to get rid of mortgage insurance, right? And mortgage insurance shows up in different ways on VA, FHA, conventional loans, they're shown differently, whether it's a, on a VA loan, you're, you're, there's something called a funding fee. Yeah. So they roll in a lot upfront, but you don't have a monthly mortgage insurance payment, uh, compared to a split premium mortgage insurance, like an FHA loan, for example, 
you have some rolled in up front. By the way, USDA does a version of this as well, but they roll in a lot up front, uh, but, uh, and then you pay a little bit along the way. Uh, in some cases with FHA loans, the mortgage insurance would never go away unless you refinance, so a good reason to refinance. And then on a conventional loan, uh, it's typically monthly. So you pay your monthly mortgage insurance. There's nothing rolled in up front typically. Um, if you're at a asterisk, and this is what blows people's mind, if you've got really great credit, you don't have to have mortgage insurance day one with 3 or 5% down. There's, there's yeah. loan programs out there that you can do a 5% down loan with no mortgage insurance, no problem at all. And people and people don't know or, or understand that, but it goes back to talking to a qualified individual in the first place. And looking at the entire picture. Yes, yes. So when you go and talk to a lender, you can't be, well, I don't want you to pull my credit and I don't yep. want to give you this. Because again, going back to like what you were talking about earlier, we can only give you the best case or the best options if we have all the pieces yep. on the table. That's right, that's right. So, so those are the four reasons to refinance. Timing is next key, right? So if you hear about general rules of thumb, you'll hear things uh, a lot on the internet to say, uh, if you're gonna keep a property more than three years and you you can drop the rate by 1%, do it. That's, that's right a lot, it's not always true. Um, for example, interest can only accrue on remaining the principal balance. And so the higher the loan balance, the uh, obviously the more interest is being accrued, so it could require less interest savings to still make sense. If that, if that if you understood that, let me say it a different way. If you have a million dollar loan and you can drop the rate by a half a percent, mm-hmm. there's a lot more bang for the buck than having a hundred thousand dollar loan yes. and dropping the rate a half percent. Yes. So again, going back to the median kind of answer, three years, one percent savings, yeah, probably makes sense, um, but not always. Um, is the, it something you should look at every couple of years? I think, think that if your mortgage company is not reaching out to you proactively, then you should absolutely reach out once a year. But um, I feel like I, I feel like that's it a, doesn't mean do it once a year, by the way. But you should at least for inquire sure, inquire. for sure. But I feel like your mortgage servicer is always going to be soliciting business uh, from true. you, right? That's true. So you know, every, so at what point is it annoying uh, versus really well, look at it? Not even annoying. How do you know when it's actually real and when it's not a automated yeah, you're true. in some sort of a drip database automatic mailer program whatever it is from the you know from your servicer that you're going to get it whether it's regardless like whether you're going to get the solicitation regardless whether it is actually a good time or all right so uh, i'm trying to think my best an- my best answer is have a relationship with a mortgage lender of some sort um that would be i don't i know that's not possible always but i think that's my best answer is if you have a relationship with somebody um, it's a worthwhile relationship because mm-hmm. over time it can save you a lot of money, heart and heartaches and headaches, right? Um, the second best answer would be if you, if you get solicited by a 1-800 number, phone number, something like that, it's probably somebody with zero mortgage experience that's in a call center. Call center, yeah. So I wouldn't take their advice is my point. And this is when it might encourage you, hey, I got solicited three times this week out of the blue. Maybe there's something happening in the market. Maybe I should go sit down locally with a, a mortgage banker locally or wherever that might be and look them in the eyeballs and, and do the math. And that's the third answer is you got to do the math. Like yeah. you can't take somebody's uh, word for it. Uh, the math that I tend to look at is what's called a break even point. Yes. And all you're looking for, you know, it's different based on why you're doing it. If you're doing cash out uh, versus paying off mortgage insurance versus uh, shortening term or just saving interest rate. But in general, in general, the answer is take your cost to do the refinance because there are costs to do refinance, mm-hmm. and divide it by the new monthly payment savings, 
and it tells you how many months you're going to have to be there for that to make sense. Makes sense, yeah. So for easy numbers, if there's $5,000 of closing costs and you're going to save 100 bucks a month, it's going to take you 50 months to break even, which is four years and two months. Yeah. So if you say, Josh, to my dream house, I'm going to die here and I've got 25 more years on my mortgage, do it. Just do it, Because yeah. over the next 25 years, it makes sense. But if you say, I'm not sure how long I'm going to keep this property for, I'm going to sell in three years, my kids go to college, don't do it. The math tells you not to, right? Yeah. Um, and again, this is where I love, like when I first started working with you, it's, it's like loans are this like big mythical or hard (laughs) thing. Like it's, they're hard and they're scary and the banks are out to get you and, oh, they're going to, they're going to try to like, you know, get you into something that is not good. And, um, and still to this day, it's like, no, I just want the lowest rate and they're, you approach it from such a logical standpoint. It's just math. It's just math. (laughs) It just is. And so that's one of my most favorite things. So on that note, not to cut you off, but it's a really good segue. Talk about interest rates because you know, we get people all the time. I just want the lowest rate. So what's rates going to do? Yeah, right, right. Let's talk about that for a second. So, um, the most common marketing message that banks use to attract new people for mortgages or refinances, purchases or refinances, is a rate. Is a rate. Yep. So that's why when you drive down the highway, you see uh, all you see is billboards that show a rate. When you walk in the front door of Bank of America or Wells Fargo, all you see is our rate. Um, and here's where I would just caution everyone that's listening. One size does not fit all, right? It really It doesn't. is just an attractor. Yeah. So the, 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 what most consumers do not recognize or understand is that there is no such thing as a rate of the day. There, there is, is no nothing. such thing <laughs> as a rate of the day. Okay. You can choose as a consumer, higher rates with lower fees or lower rates with higher fees. It's like a seesaw. And it's, it's like a seesaw and it's your choice. <laughs> but if you don't understand the options and there's no uh, intrinsic value around one or the other, then of course it's just the rate. Yeah. And so uh, I'll just give you some examples of why rate is not the most important thing in a lot of cases or most cases. So this is when you stop what you're doing and start listening. Start listening, right? Uh, And this is one of my biggest like thorns in my side about our industry uh, is that there that this is a misnomer. Um, So first of all, when you read the small print on any internet ad or paper ad about what the rate is, in most cases, nine times out of ten cases, the assumption if you read the small print, the assumption is a 740 credit score with 1% buy down cost or origination fee or some. Okay. I knew the I knew the credit. I did not know. the Yeah. Buy down. So I'm not going to name names of banks, but oh, you can go it. on the internet. I'm right. I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> if you read the small print, and these are all the big five, the national banks. Yeah. They, if you read the small print, it's assumption of great credit and paying an extra point of fees. So let's talk about points. And this is a closing cost you get into, but it affects rates for sure. If you say, like one of the most important questions I ask as a consultant is, how many years do you expect to keep this property for? Is it two years? Is it five years? Is it 10 years or forever? And I always say it just that way because I want to understand what people's answers are. Then if you say anything less than 10 years, it's a short term in the mortgage world, right? right? Yeah. Uh, If you say 10 years plus, for sure, my kid is five years old. We're going to stay in this school until the kids are out of uh, of high school. Okay. Now we're looking more long-term general answer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... In San Antonio, because we live here, um, I think a third of our people are veterans or active uh, active duty military. 
So especially the active duty military, they might be here training for two years right. and then they're gone. They're going to be shipped off again. So unless they intend to keep this property as a rental property yep. after they leave, it's a short-term loan, right? We'll get into that rental property piece here in a second. So if that's the case, then let's just use a range of rates because rates do change daily. I don't know what day this is an actually error, but let's just say that the average for the last six months has been about 4%. Mm-hmm. There have been rates in the three and a quarter range. There've been rates up to 5%. But let's just call the average 4%, okay? So on the average, on that, if, the day, if that day, the par pricing, and par pricing is defined as it doesn't cost the consumer any extra money to buy down the rate to get that rate, nor are they getting any credit from the lender okay. to supplement closing costs. So if par pricing is the base yep. price, then you can choose a higher rate than that. Mm-hmm and get credit back to pay closing costs. Okay, to lower your cash out of pocket. You can pay, uh, you can pay extra fees in the Mm -hmm. form of points to get a lower rate, okay? So if you're that veteran that's here for two years and you for sure are gonna be gone, you want to choose, I promise you, a higher rate to have the lender pay more of your fees if the seller doesn't agree to because in the short term, costs matter more. Right, because it's right? all about the break even. It's about the break even, right? So let's just say the difference on that day was the difference between 4% and four and a quarter. And that quarter difference saves you 1% of closing costs. 1% of 200,000 is two grand. Wow. A quarter rate difference literally in that price range might be 20 bucks. Then you're right for the first 100 months in that case. And usually that's not, that's a, so it's probably closer to 30 because usually the break even is about five years for a one okay. point cost usually. Medium prices roughly, right? So 20, 30 bucks difference in payment for a $2,000 lower closing cost. Take your cash, right? I mean. On the flip side, if you say, Josh, this is my dream house. I'm going to die here. I'm like, and I'll always question, are you sure? sure Like, you're sure you're going to be here forever. Because you might literally choose to pay a point, two points, three points. Uh, So two, four, six thousand dollars extra closing costs. Choose to do so. Mm -hmm. To get rates at three and a half or three and a quarter. Right. Because over the long term, saving that couple hundred bucks a month over 30 years. On your payment. On your monthly payment Mm -hmm. will add up to more than the two, four, six thousand. Okay. Now, here's another thing to consider. People always tell me, I want the lowest rate and I want to buy down the rate. And then I'm going to have it paid off in five years. It's like, don't buy down the rate then. (laughs) Because (laughs) if you're going to pay down the mortgage, remember, interest can only accrue on a remaining principal balance. So if your plan is to pay it off in two years, five years, 10 years, so whether that's you're dumping extra money towards it, you get a bonus once a year, happens a lot, you're going to sell another property and then pay it off in six months, take the higher rate, keep your cash, apply the cash towards down payment, not towards closing costs. Yeah, because a rate only matters over time, 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 time. So a short term property, two years, who cares if it's a 5% interest rate? Like who cares? You if w- the closing if, costs yeah, are paid for. If correct. they're paid for. Yep. And and I don't want people listening to this to gravitate towards a rate. The point is that you can always choose a quarter to half point higher, higher rate than what these standard rates are and get some, if not all of your closing costs paid for by the lender. So and on the really, flip side, no matter what the rate is out there, like if somebody said, Josh, can you get me a three and a half rate or a three and a quarter? The answer is yes every day. Yeah. It's going to cost you. I will depending on what the market is. I will never forget the time that you did a loan application for a a gentleman that was buying down like six points, something crazy. It was like six thousand. It wasn't six thousand. Okay, there was a six in there. Yeah. And I remember you saying, "I have got to tell you one more time. Are you sure you want to do this? And I do not advise this. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes." 
I advise like three, four times. Like, the please math, don't tell your friends. <laughs> please don't tell your friends yeah, that I advise it, this. It just like it, it doesn't yeah. like, you know, the clients always write and I document the crap out of it. I was like, I did not advise this. I, you know, but some people get so in their head, rate, 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 rate. It's like, because, it's not the rate. It's the, because it's we're programmed. People are yes, programmed by to marketing. think it's, yes, by, marketing, yep. by the mass marketing, by yep. the billboards, by, by something that maybe had been yep. true a long time ago. I don't know. Yep. Uh, that was also a huge piece that I learned coming over into the mortgage business was, oh my gosh, like there's really so much yep. that goes into what rate you're going to get. Yeah, and this also ties right back into what we brought up earlier where, um, like, should you pull your credit when you're shopping? Yes, yes, because a 728 credit score, which is a great credit score, is still not a good rate on the assumptions of 740 credit score with one point and 20% down by line. I didn't even bring that up. It's assuming 20% down usually. Oh, um, 20% down. Yeah, too. so you're going to, like, if you take somebody's word for it or the internet for it and you never had your credit pulled, you'll get an unpleasant surprise when they tell you, oh, you're, you're, you're not... A plus credit, your A credit, and it does impact right. your interest rate and your closing costs. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, yeah. I always that. say the the best time to pull your credit is as early as possible because you simply just have more options. You just do, and yep. if you can fix it, if there's something wrong, you can fix you can it. Find and out even, about something you didn't know about. Even if you're talking about the seven twenty eight, I mean, seven twenty eight is a good credit great score. Credit, great credit. But now you have a year to get to get it above seven forty. Twelve points. It's, so, which you don't have if you are scared of that hard hit. Yep. That is literally a point to three, four. I mean, it's just a couple points. It's just very, and it's good to it's good to have your credit pulled. You know. Yep. Figure out where everything is. Make sure everything's right. There's not any crazy things on it. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I, I said like I really believe I really fundamentally believe this that the only three questions that people need to really understand are: Do you qualify? Yes or no? What's the payment going to be? Yep. And how much cash is needed closing? Because you have to look at the overall. And that when you're comparing options, then you're comparing payment options mm-hmm. and cash to close. So there's no weird stuff about it. It's like, what's They're, your down payment closing cost total? What, what are you going to have to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And what's the payment? And when we're comparing and contrasting, you get a better feel for it. Now, remember, you can't compare apples to oranges either. Like, you can't compare a 15-year mortgage to a 30-year mortgage. I'm the payment's so, going to be higher on a 15-year mortgage. I am mortgage, so glad you said right? that. <laughs> um, I had a client the, the two, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, that... Um, Settled on their payment, their cash to close options, the rate locked in. We're moving forward about two weeks before closing. She was talking with the next husband. The next husband said, "Well, what what rate do you get?" And uh, and the, there was a significantly lower rate. And uh, she had great credit. And so she called me up, rightfully so, and said, "Hey, could you explain this? Like, my husband got this other rate." I said, "Cool. Um, what's the term?" What is the term? And it turned out he had a 15-year term, and she was doing a 30-year term. He had, it was the primary breadwinner, more income before the divorce. She was relying on income primarily from him after the divorce. So it's just an apples to oranges scenario. Yeah. But taking a face value, lower rate, lower rate, go with the other company. When Rather than seek wrong. first to understand. It's a 30-year yeah. note versus a 15-year note. And mm-hmm. this goes into another thing that chaps my butt uh, uh, as far as advice given by financial gurus. Mom, dad, brother, sister, neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> and people that sell books. <laughs> Get a 15-year mortgage always. Like, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. No, no, no. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. So, um, I like I said, I'm a big fan of, of, I'm a very big fan, actually, of what Ramsey's done for the world. Right? For sure. Absolutely. For sure. Like, he's changed And there's a lot so much of, alignment. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. so, there's a lot of alignment, yeah, but I, I think I, mortgages I give, is one I give him a lot, a lot of like credit, but I've, re- I've heard statements from, you know, his cult following that- uh, <laughs> one, that one that we will have, right? 
like yeah, cold phone. Yeah, uh, that you have to do, you should only do 15-year mortgages. And, and it's just simply not correct, right? As a blanket statement. Right. Now, if you're going to be retiring in 15 years and you want to, and you're part of your overall financial goal because you're going to have other assets too, is to have your house paid off in retirement. Absolutely. Um, but when somebody's got debt, why would we stress them out further with a 15-year mortgage when you could do a 30-year mortgage and take the extra cash, a couple hundred bucks a month difference in most cases, and pay down to debt. pay down the debt, yeah. right? Um, it, uh, it, that, that, uh, I also, like I'm a mortgage guy. I only give myself 30-year mortgages. You Why? Because I can always overpay a 30-year mortgage. Always. I can never underpay a 15-year mortgage. One thing that's happened in the last 10 years, and maybe it's just because it's antiquated information and so... You know, I'll just give that maybe the, the credit that's possibly due. Um, when rates, you know, you go back 15 years, there's a pretty good disparity between 30-year notes and 15-year notes, which is the difference between long-term rates and short-term rates, okay? Disparity so, rates, me- you meaning, mean? Yeah, so I remember a time where you'd have a 30-year mortgage that was 6.5%, oh. but you'd have a 15-year mortgage that was 5 Oh, okay. So you're talking right. about a yeah. point and a half difference in rate, um, or better in some cases, up to two points in some cases. In our, in and our, they're in measured our, in like eighths, right? And they're measured in eights, 0.125 difference. So, so quarter, think in terms of a quarter, a half, three quarters, a point, a point and a quarter, a point and a half. So big disparity between right. the long-term and short-term rates. Well, what's happened as the Fed keeps on dropping the federal funds rates is that there's become a compression of short-term and long-term rates. So what I mean by that is, and in some, uh, uh, even this year, there was an inversion where sometimes the short-term rates were higher than long-term rates, right? There's been inversion. Really? So my point is that if you might, in some cases, depending on the time of the year, depending on which year, but recently you're within a half a point or a three-eighths rate difference between a 30-year note and a 15-year note, I would rather my clients have more flexibility for when life happens. Right. I'd rather you have a 30-year note, especially if you're in the upper range of your debt ratios. Like, I would rather you have a 30% debt-to-income ratio and be able to choose to overpay your mortgage when you saw fit. Yeah. But if your four tires all blew up at the same time, your kid got sick and you had to deal with your um, deductibles, whatever, that you're not strapped financially, as opposed to, I've had clients tell me, nope. I was told you got to get a 15-year mortgage and they start with a 45% debt-to-income ratio. Well, what will happen over time is life will happen and they'll go, if they're not great with the cash system, if they're not great with the budging in general and and saving on the side, that that will create an issue down the road. Eventually, It'll spiral. At some point it happens. Uh, Not always, but it happens. So so interesting. It's, you know, it's just one of those things where it goes back to look at the full picture. But if yep. you're going to give a blanket statement, I understand the rationale of a 15 year. And what is the rationale? The rationale is uh, twofold. It's number one, build net worth because more of your money is going towards principal reduction. Principal. Okay. Uh, it's for savings, by the way. So you don't even feel it because the money's already gone. So that's that's a good thing. And the second piece is, is have your, your house paid off so you have the sure. lowest expenses possible. So the rationale is sound. But if you read that line in a vacuum, and you think it's applicable to every American buying a home, factually incorrect. Factually incorrect? Just not right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but like I said, having a system, a budget, doing envelopes, cash, um, doing 15 years when appropriate. Yeah. Great information, great advice, big believer in it. Um, For sure. But this goes back to it's worth talking 
mortgage options through with a real mortgage professional. Absolutely. Not a online hotline dial 1-800 mix, you know, Sir Mix-a-Lot or something like that, Ooh, you know. I don't know. That was a 900 number, by the way. I think <laughs> 1-900-Mix-a-Lot, if I, if I recall. I might call Sir Mix-a-Lot my next loan. <laughs> wiki, wiki, wiki. We're going we're gonna to have to hashtag him. Wiki. See if he, See if he replies. That'd be funny. Uh, let's do that. What other questions? Commonly asked I'm questions. I'm trying to figure out where I want to take this. Um, you need to wrap it up too. We have less than 10 minutes to wrap it up. I know. Which one's the best one? Um, a fear about, um, a, a big fear is when it comes to home ownership is mm-hmm. maintenance of the home. Like, no, no, no. Mm. I want to rent because I don't have to worry about when something breaks and I can just call the landlord. And yep. so obviously we are proponents of home ownership. Um, how do you, what's the best advice you can yeah, give? Yeah, I love that question. So I think there's two or three things we can spin off of this because I think there's this very valid stuff. So in most states in the contract, there's the ability to take on a home warranty. Okay. Boom. So yeah. I, I am a big believer if you're, if you're worried about that, get a home warranty. Home warranties, they're not all equal. I'm not endorsing anyone in a home warranty company. But um, home warranties in general are going to protect the big ticket items, the ACs, the, the water softeners, yeah. the refrigerators, the dishwashers, right? Those yeah. are the bigger ticket items. Um, I also re- totally require, recommend, I require personally, but I recommend getting an inspection done. Yeah. So don't buy a house and not get inspected. The inspector's going to tell you if the damn thing's falling in the center of the earth. Mm-hmm. There are three things that are the really big high ticket items that you should watch out for if you're concerned about this. The roof, foundation, AC. If the roof is within two years of its roof life, you don't want a $10,000 bill in two years to fix it, mm-hmm. right? If the foundation is is not, like there's settling, which the inspector will differentiate, which is fine. There's little tiny micro cracks everywhere because the house will settle over time. But if there's a foundational failure, you're going to see cracks with, with uh, you know, centimeter or bigger inches. Bigger, yeah. Um, you know, variants, you'll see, you know, entire walls of bricks that are kind of separated. Um, you will feel like you're walking downhill uh, in certain rooms or uphill for that matter or sideways. Able, you won't be able It'll be to like shut a fun doors. House. It'll be like a fun house. You can't shut doors, <laughs> can't right? Shut doors. So the, a good inspector will say, get a engineer inspection, right? Yeah. So get a real certified structural engineer to do it. Avoid those if you're stressed out about money for sure. Um, but I already fixed the AC problem. Get the home warranty. By the way, home warranties are like 400 to 600 bucks, depending on if you're doing pool equipment or something like that as well. But um, the, I, I think the w- best way to offset it is get a good inspection um, to fully understand what you are purchasing. And the second one is to get the home warranty. The third thing that I would do is ask questions of the seller and of the neighbors if you can find them. Oh, like this that. is where being inquisitive counts, right? Like if you are in a normal situation with a normal seller, most sellers, not all, are normal human beings that care that their beloved home is in the right hands of somebody else. So if you ask some you know, questions like, hey, would you do me a favor and share your, uh, your monthly bills with me? Water, electricity, gas, oh. they'll give them to you. Most of the time, I've asked for many of my properties I've owned. Um, if you go to the neighbors and double check it, you're gonna get a pretty good scope of what to expect. Um, so as someone looked at my neighbor's house yesterday, who's it's on the market mm-hmm. and I happened to be outside talking, uh, or I was outside when they were looking at it and they did, they came mm-hmm. over and said, do you mind if we ask, Yep. what are your month, like what's your monthly electricity bill? I'm like, yeah. 
Big my, hus- my husband pays those bills, but I have a feeling if it was out of control, he'd be yelling at me because I am not <laughs> one to be hot or cold for very long at all. And I mess with the AC. So that's really funny. I said, but yeah, I, mean, I think, I, can... I think those are the three things you can do. You know, here's the truth of the matter is, um, if, if you, if you do a good budget and you work with a good business partner or a financial planner or a mortgage professional or a great realtor, not all realtors, a great realtor then they can give you a good fundamental understanding of what to expect in this house and how to protect you in the upfront purchase, right? And one thing a lot of realtors, a lot of realtors say is, I don't want to put you in a house that I can't sell for you mm-hmm. down the road, you yep. know? And so I think that's good a realtors really, do that, yep. that's a great perspective to look at it from. Like they don't want, they don't want to sell a piece of crap and they certainly don't want to have to try to sell it either, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, well, most people with ethics and morals want to sleep at night. Yeah. So, you know, again, it goes back to don't get a, here's something, here's my selection process for realtors. Don't use realtors that do less than one deal a month. Okay. Like that's a starting point. Like professionals are in the business every month of every year. They know the market. They know what to look for. Um, And they're practiced. So if you're you're trying to to use your sister who has a real estate license, again, because they're going to make a million bucks in HGTV and they're going to waive half their fees for you to use them because they're your sister, but they're not a full-time realtor you're setting yourself up for yeah. a mistake, a disaster that that happens, but use a, a qualified professional, not Zillow to tell you property values. Mm-hmm. Use a realtor who's going to tell you the real property values, yeah. um, you know, and what you could do to improve it, what you shouldn't do to over improve it. Um, all that stuff is preventable. Yeah. Just do a little bit more homework and asking more questions up front. That's where it, being inquisitive really pays off. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap this bad boy up. So in a nutshell, what do you want them to have heard? Yeah, um, so here's what I would start with. I really fundamentally believe in the American dream. I do believe that most, not all, but most people should own a home. Mm-hmm. I think that we should own America. I don't think that the other countries should own America. I just think that's the truth. And um, and so part of that is people are more afraid about what they may not qualify for than are willing to ask questions. Yeah. So if, if you're trying to, if you're thinking about buy, buying or selling a house, if you're thinking about refinancing, you should reach out. You should just get a free consultation from a local resource. I do believe in doing face-to-face mm-hmm. because it's easy to be lied to or misled over the phone. It is not easy to be lied to or misled face-to-face. So asking for a few referrals of local resources that you can talk to, that you can sit down belly to belly, that you can look them in the eyes, you can understand who they are. Office space matters. Like if they're a hole in the wall and they're about to go out of business, like don't take their advice. Yeah. Um, like just find that kind of so comfort zone. So I think this is questions. interesting too. You know, you probably all have a friend or a family member that's in, in this business. Mm-hmm. They're a lender, they're a realtor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's like, oh gosh, avoid the lender realtor friend because they're always, you know, they're always mm-hmm. talking their business and trying to get me to do something. Start listening, Mm -hmm. start listening because, um, I was all over my sphere of influence a couple of months ago when the rates really, I wanted people to take advantage of what was happening in the market. Mm -hmm. And someone, I had two people ask me, how are we supposed to know this information? Like, thank God you told us. Right. Mm -hmm. And I loved that because it's, we're all quick. Nobody wants to be sold. Right. And as as lenders and realtors, we don't want to be annoying. We don't, yep. but it's our duty to make sure that we are educating the people that we love, yep, our friends right. and our family. So, um, so start listening to the, to your people that are in the business and, and are good. Yep. Um, and when they say jump freaking jump because yep. they're There's not going to, yeah. Math works. 
maybe like if you've got kids that are in fifth grade and younger, like do their math homework with them. Um, it's I, just pluses and minuses, I, I, it's right, Josh? Just, it's just pluses and minuses, and people get scared off because there's a couple of zeros afterwards, but it's the same math. It's it's addition, subtraction, yeah. division. That's really it. So, which is where I, I just love your approach. It's all logical. It's all logical. It is. It is. So, so. Uh, but yeah, for uh, more information, reach out. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love your comments. And uh, we will see you next time on Sigmund Sense. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.